Well, this morning we, we come to the conclusion of our sermon series, A Praying Church. And um, we've been on quite a journey for the last four months. We began by looking at the Lord's Prayer and how Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, Let your kingdom come, as we sang earlier. Uh, then we moved on to some biblical examples of personal prayer from the book of Habakkuk and Psalm 43 and talked about uh, what it is to interact with this God who doesn't always make sense. Um, And then we looked at the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 15 and considered what Jesus himself prays for us and for his church. And then for the last few weeks, we've focused on how to pray for the church, um, looking at a few of Paul's letters to find out what Paul's prayer priorities are for the church so that his prayers might inform and inspire our prayers for the church. And we've seen that uh, what was heavy on Paul's heart for God's people is that they would grow in faith, hope, and love. Well, this morning, um, I want to conclude with uh, by asking, so what did Paul specifically ask the churches to pray uh, for him and for others like him? What was Paul's prayer request? Um, and so we're going to see, and you can follow along on the notes on page 5. Um, I'm going to move pretty quickly, so I, I gave you a more detailed outline than normal. Um, I'm going to move pretty quickly because I have a little surprise for you at the end of the sermon. So, um, And it does not involve candy, I'm sorry. Um, but Paul asked, uh, as we're going to see in, in these various passages that David just read, Paul asked the churches to pray that God would grow the gospel. He asked them to pray for those who sow the gospel. And he asked uh, for prayer that many would know the gospel. Uh, so let me pray for us, and we're going to jump in. Father, we ask that you would come by your Spirit and help us to hear and understand your word. We ask that you would protect us from the enemy who would like to steal this word from our hearts, uh, from our ears this morning. Uh, Would you protect this time? Uh, Would you use it to uh, encourage your people uh, with the good news of who Jesus is and how much he loves us? We ask in his name. Amen. So, it may be typical of Americans to pray that their churches would grow, but the apostles prayed that the gospel would grow. Um, On the front of your bulletin, I I put this quote uh, from Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. They said that four times in Acts, we are told that the word of God, or the Lord, increased and multiplied and spread, as all, almost as if it had a life of its own. And at every step of this growth, the Spirit is there at work, filling the preachers with boldness or, and the power to speak and granting faith and new life to those who hear. They said it's interesting how little the New Testament talks about church growth and how often it talks about gospel growth or the increase of the word, the message of the gospel. The focus is on the progress of the Spirit-backed Word of God as it makes its way in the world according to God's plan. So Paul prays for gospel growth. 
And then uh, on the inside, on the bottom of your notes page, on page five, I, I put another quote there from D.A. Carson. Um, and this is, he continues uh, with Paul's concern for the gospel itself. He says, it is vitally important to recognize that Paul's prayer is nothing other than a concern for the gospel itself and for its extension in a needy world. Here we do well to remember the frequently quoted words of E.M. Bounds, who said, One of the constitutional enforcements of the gospel is prayer. Without prayer, the gospel can neither be preached effectively, promulgated faithfully, experienced in the heart, nor be practiced in the life. And for the very simple reason that by leaving prayer out of the catalog of religious duties, we leave God out, and his work cannot progress without him. So, Paul's uh, concern was not so much that the church grow, but that the gospel grow. And then the church would grow because of that. Um, As we jump in and and first of all see that Paul prayed and and by his example we learn to pray for gospel, that the gospel will grow. I didn't put it in the, uh, the readings of the day, but I think Jesus' parable of the sower and the seed is, is an important context to understand why Paul asks for the kinds of things Paul asks for. So I want to read that to you real quickly out of Matthew 13, because I, I do think, it, I think it's in the back of Paul's mind as he thinks about the gospel growing. Um, so let me remind you of that parable. Jesus uh, went out of the house and sat beside the sea, Matthew says, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Aren't you thankful you get to sit down when I preach? Thank you very much. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up but since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then a little later, um, the disciples wanted to know, what does that mean, Jesus? So he explained the parable of the sower. He said, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, the gospel, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, Jesus says, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So that's the path, the rocky ground, and as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, hears the gospel, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfaithful, unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, 
and another 60, and another 30. So with that background, here's, here's what Paul prays about uh, God growing the gospel. First, he prays that the gospel seed will spread fast and far. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1 that we read, that we heard earlier, he says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you. So he prays that the gospel seed will spread fast and far. He prays that the gospel seed will find open fields and not be restricted. Colossians 4.3, he says, Pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's praying for uh, the seed of the gospel to find open fields, open doors to get in and to take root. He prays that the gospel will find fertile soil and bear fruit. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, again, he says, uh, pray that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored. Uh, that the word would be honored by those who receive it and respect it and, and taken in. Um, and he says uh, that it would be honored as happened among you, which is interesting. Uh, what happened among the Thessalonians? Well, if you go back, I invite you to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, where Paul says that our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy, Holy Spirit so that you became example, an example to other believers. And the word, of, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Um, so he's, he's praying that the gospel would find Fertile soil, hearts that the Spirit opens and the, the seed of the gospel gets in there and takes root and bears fruit. Um, it came and it bore fruit among the Thessalonians because it came to them not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. And they received the gospel with joy in the Holy Spirit. So we need to be praying that the Spirit would work on his word as it gets into the hearts of people. That good soil that Jesus was talking about is not something that the person themselves can work up. Um, the Holy Spirit has to be plowing and furrowing uh, the field of the heart so that the gospel can take root in it. So, pray for the gospel. Pray for God to grow the gospel. Now pray for those who sow the gospel. Um, Paul said in, in Romans 10, how are people to hear the gospel unless someone preaches? And how are they to preach unless someone sends them? Um, and then he quotes our passage from Isaiah. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Um, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So we need, to, we need to be praying that God would send sowers. Uh, but we also need to pray for those sowers that their proclamation of the gospel would be clear, bold, and protected. First of all, pray that their proclamation of the gospel would be clear. Paul said in Colossians 4, pray also for us that God may open the door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ so that I may make it, the mystery, clear, which is how I ought to speak. It is, it is a mystery um, what Jesus has done what God has done through Christ. Paul wants it to be clear. He says in Ephesians 6.19, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly 
to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So we need to pray that the gospel would be clear in the mouths of those who proclaim it from a pulpit or who share it one-on-one. And the reason we need that clarity is because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We need to pray that God would shine the light of the gospel into darkened hearts clearly. Secondly, pray that the, pro- the proclamation of the gospel would be bold. In Ephesians 6, Paul said, pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, he says. Paul is already in chains for speaking boldly. And so when the man asks that he be, he be able to continue to speak the gospel boldly, he knows why he needs boldness. Because he knows he will suffer for his sharing of the gospel. So pray that it would be a bold proclamation. And finally, uh, that their proclamation of the, goal of the gospel would be protected. He said in 2 Thessalonians 3, pray that we might be delivered from wicked and evil men. Um, in Romans 15, he asked for uh, the Romans to pray. This is before he got to visit them. He asked them to pray that he, when he goes to Jerusalem to carry this contribution that the churches were, were giving to the church in Jerusalem, he asked them to pray for protection as he goes to Jerusalem. Um, and it's interesting that God didn't answer the prayer <laughs> the way Paul prayed it. He asked that he would be uh, protected while he was there, that the people in Jerusalem would receive him with joy, and that then he would be able to go on to Rome, which is where he wanted to eventually get to, um, and to enjoy being with God's church there. That's what he prayed for, or asked for prayer for in Romans 15. What actually happened when he got there, as Acts 21 to 28 tells us, is that he was falsely accused by the, by the Jews, uh, which led to him being uh, beat up by a riotous mob in the street. The Romans came in to try to break up this riot. They ended up arresting him. Uh, they almost flogged him, but he reminded them that he was a Roman citizen. So they, sh- they learned that there was a, a plot to kill him, so they shipped him off to Caesarea, where he was imprisoned for two years before he finally appealed to Caesar, and that was his ticket to Rome. But in order to get to Rome, he went on a ship that was shipwrecked, and he spent a little bit of a time floating around in the ocean on a piece of the ship, and by God's grace was protected. And finally, eventually got to Rome, where he was still in chains and yet was able to share the gospel. And listen to what he said. Um, What I'm trying to say is, sometimes you pray for protection for the gospel, and God doesn't answer it the way you think he will. You pray for protection so that the gospel will grow. And if I were Paul, I would say, well, Lord, that didn't work. Um, But it was from prison in Rome that Paul wrote Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. Philemon. 
And this is what he said in Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers, that the things that have happened to me in reality turned out to the advantage of the gospel. Be encouraged that as we pray that God, those who uh, sow the seed of the gospel would be protected and that their proclamation would be protected. God will answer that prayer in his way. Um, He is at work protecting uh, us and his gospel according to his uh, his purpose. And then finally, Paul encourages us to pray that many would know the gospel. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 2, which is in your bulletin. Uh, one of these days, if the Lord allows me, I'll preach through 2 Timothy and we'll deal with all the intricate issues that are in this passage. So right now, I'm just going to give you the bottom line, okay? And if you have questions about it, you can come talk to me and we'll have coffee and have a Bible study together. Um, but Paul said, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, of our, God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So what? the reason I say that Paul is saying we should pray for many to know the gospel is that he says, first of all, pray all kinds of prayers. He lists about four of them there. For all kinds of people. Now he says, I urge that these prayers be made for all people. But he's not talking about every single person who ever lived on the face of the earth. He's in the context, and this is where you'd have to trust me on this. He's, he's praying for all kinds of people. The Jews, the, the rabbis taught the people uh, a prayer that went something like this. I'm paraphrasing. God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile nor a woman. Paul's saying, no, no, no. We don't pray that way. We pray for all kinds of people. This is Paul, the one who used to hate Gentiles, saying we pray for Gentiles, we pray for women, we pray for slaves, we pray for kings like Nero, whom who was king when Paul said to pray for kings. Um, We pray for all kinds of people. All kinds of prayers for all kinds of people because, as Paul said, this pleases God. Because God wants all kinds of people to know the good news about Jesus. Um, God desires all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so we, like Paul, want to pray that all kinds of people would know the gospel. And then I love how he goes on to to say um, uh, in verses 5 and 6, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The The good news of the gospel is that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all kinds of sinners. In Romans 10, Paul said, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul's heart was really broken for his own fellow Jews. He said in Romans 10, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So I'm asking us as a church, do we have that kind of heart's desire and prayer that we would see the gospel grow starting here and on this mountain and down in the valley and to the neighbor, our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. What drove Paul to have that kind of heart for people that he used to hate? What drove Paul uh, to give the good news to other people and to pray that God would help him do that? Is because Paul knew the mercy that he was now wanting to give to others. He knew that mercy. I close with this, and then the surprise is coming. He says in the chapter before, 1 Timothy 1, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent to God's people, I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly, ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Friends, if you and I, and I I certainly need my heart for the lost kindled. The way God kindles it is for us to remember uh, who we are apart from Him and that He has shown us mercy. And so then we pray for mercy for others. I want to ask Jim and Bonnie West to come. Come on down. I've asked them, uh, I want to just briefly interview them. Uh, They are some of our newest members, and they come to us transferring from McLean PCA in McLean, Virginia. And um, I've asked if I could just find, choose yourself a microphone there. You get one and Bonnie gets one. Um, (laughs) I've asked them if I could just hear their story a little bit. And um, and then we'll we'll share the Lord's Supper together. So, Jim, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your story of of coming to know Jesus and what He did in your hearts. Sure. So, throughout our lives, we all experience what we experience, right? And every once in a while, God gives us some blessing of being able to see some tangible proof of what he said in Romans 8, that all things must work together for the good of the the elect. And uh, our lives are are really testament to that. Uh, I grew up uh, as a very young child with faith. Um, I prayed, had a relationship with Jesus, but uh, with a a violent and abusive father, I quickly uh, sort of got trod down. And uh, as I got older, my faith diminished further and further, and, and God sort of sent me out 
into uh, sort of a, a faithlessness that culminated when I uh, joined the Marine Corps and went off and deployed multiple times and eventually violently and angrily rejected God and became a persecutor and a ridiculer of Christianity and Christians and lived that way for, for a while. This was authentic for me. This was the path that God sent me down. And uh, in this state, uh, being a, an anti-Christian, sort of a, an angry person, I met another uh, really anti-Christian, angry person. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a person who wouldn't have given me two thoughts had I not been an angry person anti-Christian sort of a guy. And uh, if, if, if I had come up to her as an actual Christian, right, she wouldn't have wanted anything to do with me. And frankly, I wouldn't have wanted much to do with her. And uh, as a God sort of worked what needed to get worked. Um, you know, as, a, as the oldest of five kids growing up in the way that we grew up, I became very protective. And this is something that uh, drew Bonnie to me. And all of it sort of worked together with God's design. And through meeting Bonnie, it sort of occurred to me that I had to stop living as a Viking. Uh, turns out the path of sin does in fact lead to death and being an incredibly dense individual, God had to show me this time after time after time uh, to where I was actually witnessing the destruction of my own life and the you know inability to accomplish any sort of a goal if I wanted to have a family, wanted to live in a manner that was respectable, uh, you really couldn't be living as a modern-day Viking. So me meeting Bonnie, I realized I needed to sort of get serious. And so I started, I knew it wasn't going to be Christianity, right? You, you, I needed some sort of a systematic system to house my belief and to understand the world that I existed in. Uh, again, I can't stress this enough, it was not going to be Christianity. No way, no how, been there, done that, and uh, just not going back. Frankly, I don't like eating crow, and, uh, you know, surely there's a better way, right? Um, so I went ahead and explored humanism, right, sort of atheism's answer to religion, and it was just too liberal and wishy-washy, and I don't really do liberal or wishy-washy. Uh, then I explored, explored Reformed Judaism, and uh, that was great. They encouraged people to question everything. You get 10 different Reformed Jews in the room, you ask them, what is God? You're going to get 10 totally different answers. And I thought that was fantastic, except that I'm not Jewish, right? And it's a very culturally burdened sort of an environment. And it's just one that wasn't mine. Uh, so then I decided, okay, maybe we can cobble something together, right? So the Marine Corps formed a really great core for me, right? They have this code that's just rock solid. It's a, it's a warrior ethos. It's you know, sort of grown out of Appalachian and, and Norse culture, um, and it works great for what it is. While I was on active duty, it filled that, that goal for my life. It was a systematic system that enabled me to understand the world around me, except that it's designed for killing people and breaking things. And once you get out of the Marine Corps and you're a civilian again, it just doesn't translate. I really tried to make it translate, but uh, as it turns out, it just terrifies people. So, uh, so I thought, well, maybe we can harvest some of that, right? We can pull, pull out some of that sort of ancient paganism and put it together. I mean, didn't Odin save us from the ice giants? And uh, just uh, there wasn't a lot there. So this is to bring us up to speed. This would have been 
So Bonnie and I got married in May 2016. 2016. And uh, it was, at the time, we're still both thoroughly secular, thoroughly anti-Christian. Um, and that summer, I started realizing, okay, we're, we're going to have kids. We've got to get serious about this. going to have to figure this out, all right? Um, as I, again, not Christianity. Not going there. There was this piece of me, though, that felt that maybe I was going to have to wind up there. And uh, so over the course of the summer, September, October, I just sort of kept searching, kept, you know, agonizing over this. I wasn't going to pray about it. The last time I had prayed, it was a very angry altercation, one-sided. I was very enamored by my own sin. Uh, I had, you know, told God to get out of my life in no uncertain terms, as in, in languages color, colorful that only Marines and sailors can, can muster. And uh, I wasn't going to go back to that. So... My company sent me up to a defense industry conference in October in Montreal, and on the way home, I sat down on the plane. I was tired. You know, every once in a while, we've all been there, right? You're sitting in a plane. Somebody gets on. Sometimes you want to have a conversation. Sometimes you really just don't. You really just want to think about things and you know not talk to anybody. And I was sort of in the latter state. Didn't want to talk to anybody. This old guy gets in. I was sitting in the front row in first class, and on the aisle, and this old fellow comes in, and he's carrying this big crate. And I hear stuff scattering around inside the crate. There's clearly things alive inside this crate that he's bringing onto this plane. And I'm looking, I'm like, okay, this is something. And he lifts up, he puts it up right in the overhead, right above me. And so, okay, I, I got to know. <laughs> so he sits down next to me and says, hey, old guy, what's in the crate? And he goes, oh, it's live lobsters. As it turns out, you can import live lobsters from Canada as carry-on luggage uh, so, you know, who knew, right? Uh, but uh, so we, we started talking. It was a sort of a, something that God used to open up a conversation. Well, it turns out he was a Presbyterian preacher from the town just south of me in Virginia. And uh, when I found that out, it was one of these, oh, boy. You know, I don't think this is a coincidence, and I'm really not thrilled about this, but I think I'm supposed to tell you my story here. So I told him my story, and he just talked to me about the gospel. He didn't push anything. He was wise enough to know that there was nothing he could possibly say that was going to change my mind. It was going to make me say, oh, well, in that case. Um, and, uh, you know, he had met angry youth before. And uh, so it turns out he just talked about a little bit about the Bible, a little about what he did, about what he did, and about what others in my situation were experiencing. And he encouraged me to read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And so I thought, well, C.S. Lewis is a veteran. He was in World War One. They give him crazy street cred in the Marine Corps. So, uh, like, I'll give it a shot. Why not, right? Say, so what can it possibly hurt? So I was traveling every week back then. <laughs> and uh, I was traveling for work every week. So I was listening to a lot of books on tape, and I bought it on Audible that night. And I started listening to it. And over the course of the next couple of weeks, I was, you know, it worked me through the necessity of Jesus, right? That's what I had always kind of grappled with. God had sent me out to wander, but had never let me lose sight of the existence of some kind of supreme being, right? That's it. That's all we know about him. He's a supreme being. Um, and the soul being immortal. In the Marine Corps, this is kind of, kind of assumed. Right? Maybe it's something from the Valkyries. You know, you, you die gloriously in battle and you get carried off to someplace good, right? Good things happen. It's not the Islamic 72 virgins thing. It's just uh, there's something there. 
right? There's something inside us that, that transcends the physical. And I had always just kind of known that. Um, so, where was I going with that? Jesus. Yeah, yeah, So, so, yeah, there you go. There you go. The, uh, so, but I never said, you know, why do you need Jesus, right? If, you, if there's God, if there's a supreme being, um, why do we need this, this, you know, sun dude that comes down and gets crucified, of all things? It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, mere Christianity showed me how it's not unreasonable to believe this. It didn't convince me of anything, but it showed me that, okay, you're not necessarily insane to buy, you know, get on the Jesus train. So... Later on, the next week, as I was traveling, I read through the chapter on faith and how faith is a theological virtue that has to come from God. It's a gift that we can't just gin up on our own and sort of hop that bridge between humanity and divinity. Uh, Later on, it was explained to me that through the fall, we open up this chasm between us and God that we on our own cannot bridge and that Jesus had to come down to create that bridge. Right, so that's when it occurred to me that okay, it just got real. I was gonna have to pray, so I landed in DC and I kind of put my, my mind on autopilot, you know, done it a million times. Get out of the, the plane, walked where my car was, always parked in the same spot, same level, just muscle memory. It wasn't my zone, my brain just zoned out. I knew something was afoot, but I couldn't quite figure, figure out what was going on. Hopped in the car, drove the same route back to the house, and about 30 minutes into the drive, right as soon as I was turning off the George Washington Parkway, I decided, okay, well, you know, here it goes. We're all going to get ready to dodge the lightning if it comes down and strikes me, but uh, I just started praying. And I prayed that, uh, I, I said, told God that I couldn't get there on my own, that I couldn't figure out how to believe in Jesus, but that if Jesus existed, if Christianity was a real thing, there were enough witnesses in my life at the time to show me that this is maybe a good thing. It was that Presbyterian preacher on the plane. It was a couple of my co-workers who were very gently but nonetheless powerfully witnessing to me, and uh, I knew there were certainly people praying for me. And so I said, look, if this is for real and you want me to be a part of this, then I want faith, and I prayed he would give me faith. And, and let me tell you, he slammed it into me hard. And uh, it was immediate. I remember right where I was on the road, I could drive to that spot today, and my eyes filled with tears. I was literally blinded on the road. I had to pull over and stop. And I sat there, I just felt grace and peace and confidence, just certainty over the path in front of me, just sort of wash over me. And it was... An unbelievable experience. And about 30 minutes later, I pulled out my phone, sort of dried my eyes, and Googled Presbyterian churches in McLean. And McLean Presbyterian Church popped up. And I didn't know PCUSA from PCA, but God guided me to the PCA. And uh, that Sunday, I wound up in the pews, the Sunday after Veterans Day 2016. And James Forsyth was preaching on, I kid you not, the prodigal son. And uh, grace slammed into me again, and I realized I was home. And I went, came home from church that day and thinking to myself, this is going to go great, guys. And I walked through the door and says, honey, I'm home. I'm Christian. It's great. And uh, she looks at me and says, uh, 
Okay, my husband has lost my his mind. I think I said, sure you are. <laughs> <laughs> she went ahead and waited for the flight of fancy to die out, and when it wasn't going to die out, that entered our, the darkest period of our relationship, of our marriage. It was three months where we couldn't communicate, where I, as a Marine, was thinking, okay, my wife's in danger. i got to knock her over the head, toss her over my shoulder, and drag her across the goal line. And as it turns out, that's not the way evangelism works. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I'm going to let I'm going to take a break here and let Bonnie sort of tell her side of this in a second. But it all kind of culminated in February of 2017, when I had decided that you know God had let me. I was praying, I was agonizing about all of this, and I was thinking we hadn't had kids. Uh, my thought was, do I divorce this woman? and find a woman who will help me raise my children Christian? And what do I do? And God you know, pretty clearly told me, no, no, you brought you this woman, you married this woman, you made a commitment, that's done, now let's move on, all right? And uh, so I decided, okay, you know what, I was scared. I, I was thinking, you know what, we're gonna have kids, I'm gonna be telling them about Jesus, and mom's gonna be telling them how crazy their dad is. And this is gonna be, you know, the next 40 years of our life is gonna be warfare. And so I was on my way out to Taiwan. I had my bags. I was ready to roll. And I was standing at the door. She was standing in the kitchen. And I looked at her and I said, Woman, here's how it's going to be. I'm a Christian. I'm going to raise our kids Christian. And you're going to get right with it. Or we're not going to have kids. And I walked out the door. Uh, so uh, probably not the right way to handle it in retrospect. Um, but that's when she realized that I was very serious. And. Is this working? Okay. So um, I obviously had to do something about that. And uh, I wasn't thrilled with the prospect of such things because he grew up with a little bit of faith. I grew up with, like, nothing at all. Totally a-religious, like the anthropology project. Yeah. Yeah. So so nothing. And, you know, all the experience that I had had with Christianity and religion in general was, like, really negative and, you know, the kind of stuff that you see on the news. Um, mostly Catholics, um, crazy kind of things, but, uh, so I didn't have a good view of religion or Jesus, and I thought everybody was kind of crazy and soft in the head, and it was all very confusing, so when my husband comes home and tells me he's Christian, I was like, oh, great, okay, how do we, how do we do this? So, (laughs) so he starts going to church, and I realize that we need to do something about this if we want to... She's interjecting. Um, if we want to have a, a marriage. And uh, there was this, this pastor at McLean who was a Ph.D. theologian. And um, for those of you who don't know, I'm an economist and I'm, like, super rational. Uh, so it wasn't his way of dealing with things. You can tell the, the exuberance and the emotion was not really translating to me. I don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> so I just, I needed a, a different approach. And I had read Mere Christianity to kind of be in solidarity with him. And I couldn't finish it the first time through because I got so angry and offended. Um, so I had to put it down and then come back to it after a few days and continue to be angry and offended. But, you know, soldier through it. Because <laughs> he does say some things about women folk in there that really is no bueno. But, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, um, so... I agreed to meet with this preacher person. And, Bill Fullerlove. Yeah, Bill Fullerlove, Pastor Bill. And um, I had come prepared with 
a laundry list of questions, bullet points, like all kinds of things that I found objectionable or unbelievable about Christian Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And and we, uh, you know, things like, do you have to sing in church? Because that just seems like it's really annoying. You know, do you, uh, what's the deal with the, like, the bread and the wine? You know, is that like cannibalism? Because that's like kind of creepy. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, which I, you know, different parts of Christianity feel different ways about that. And I'm glad that we're symbolically eating bread and wine and, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so Bill answered all my questions in a really logical fashion, which is what I needed. And um, then I, I meditated on this for a little while and I realized that the only thing that was stopping me from believing was that I wasn't sure if I believed in the immortality of the soul. Um, you know, being very down to earth myself, I was like, well, if I can't see it, it's not there. So it's not real. So what is this eternity business? Um, but then I realized and this is still sort of embarrassing for me to admit, that um, I believe in ghosts, right? <laughs> and uh, if you believe in ghosts, which doesn't, you know, really translate to being super rational, uh, but if you do, then you must believe that there's something beyond physical, that there's a soul, there's a, an essence to a person that is not just what you can see. So in a slightly less dramatic fashion than Jim, there were no tears in my eyes, <laughs> um, didn't have to pull over on the road or anything, but I just kind of sat there and was like, well, shoot. I have backed myself into a corner and um, logically must now accept that all these things are true. And, uh, and once I did that, everything sort of made sense, you know, because I could follow A, B, C, D, all the way up to Jesus, right? And um, I was like, oh, okay. And, and I sent him an email. He was in Taiwan, so after he had left in that dramatic fashion, I, uh, <laughs> I sent him an email, and I said, all right, you win. You know, no, And, 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 and right. I said, yeah, okay, sure. We'll, we'll see about that when I get home. <laughs> and then I get home, and she's reading the Bible, she's praying, she's, she's a Christian, and every respect the word. And, you know, I started seeing transformation in her almost immediately, and then you had that experience with forgiving people. Oh, yeah, I had, uh, I got shot with the grace ray, so... <laughs> it was like a zap, you know, just totally unexpected. Um, but I just had this overwhelming sense of forgiveness, like for people that had hurt me or hurt people I loved, and I realized that it wasn't up to me to, you know, dole out any justice on them. Uh, there's somebody who's taking care of that. And uh, what a load off, really. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. And now, for the last well year and a half, really, uh, the amount of grace and blessings that just been poured out on us is just—it's overwhelming. How many things we have to be thankful for, you know? Like when I sit down to really just talk to God about what I have to be thankful with, I mean, I can go on for days, and it just—it doesn't end. His, you know, the, the blessings He's poured out on us and uh, through us, you know, we start seeing, you know. We started witnessing to our friends, to our family, and in different ways. And I, I knew her conversion was for real when a couple of weeks after I got home from Taiwan, my mother-in-law and my wife are sitting at my dining room table, and my wife is evangelizing her mother. Like, yep, that is uh, something's going on here. Ooh. So uh, I was ooh. like, hey, this thing is super cool. You should try it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think we've probably drilled down long enough about that. But that's pretty much how we got from there to here. 
And, uh, you know, looking back and seeing how God worked everything in our lives, from the good to the bad, to the, to the tragic, to the awful, everything came together to bring us to him. Mm. And, you know, we, we see this now, you know, when we have issues in our lives now, a miscarriage last summer, um, you know, difficulties at work, whatever it might be, the question isn't so much, you know, how do we get out of the situation? How do we deal with the situation? But what is God trying to do? And one of the things I learned during that three-month period between my conversion and her conversion was that it might not be happening on our time scale. It might not be happening in the way that we want it to happen. We, it might not even be moving in the direction we want it to move, but God is always up to something in our lives. <laughs> and it might not, you know, C.S. Lewis said, he's not safe, but he's good. And it might be destructive. It might be dangerous. It might be damaging at the time but at the end of the day god is up to something and he is working his salvation in the hearts of his elect wow thank you see this is why this is why i wanted you to hear their story and be encouraged that as you pray the gospel is going and growing and getting planted in in places, and the Spirit comes, blows on it, waters it, feeds it, and it bears fruit. And um, let's pray and thank God for for His grace in your life and ours. And we're thankful that He brought you here to be with us. And one of these days, we're going to baptize that little one right there. So, <laughs> Father, thank you so much. Um, thank you for the reminder that. You are still at work, even uh, when we think, oh, there's no way, um, with, with folks who are actively resistant, um, you, you do your work, and you call people to yourself. Let, let our prayers be a part of what you're doing to call people to yourself. God, thank you for calling us to pray so that we can participate in that way in your work in the world, uh, in growing the gospel in the lives of people. We ask that you would continue to do this and make this fellowship be a, a place that spreads the seed of the gospel and, and gets to be a part of the harvest of the fruit from it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.